have to get out of this wheelhouse. In Volantis, it's a hundred thousand times more likely that they'll spot you. I have to get out of this wheelhouse, Eric. Is my face really so displeasing to you? <laughs> You've been podcasting for so long. We need to hear another voice. Another voice. One other than you two. Does my voice displease you that much? <laughs> I really like your voice. I think the listeners do too, but just a little bit of variety would be nice. And now this week, Eric sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, I have the perfect idea. Uh, Eric, you're, you're sick. This, is, this, is, this makes the most sense. So it's like a whole new person's here. Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is a slightly less healthy Eric. Eric's been drinking lots of tea. We've had lots of wine, Micah and I, on this long journey to Volantis. On the way. It's on the way. Yep. We're headed swiftly toward the end of this season. Let's make a stop, uh, our second stop during episode three. You guys like all these quips? Pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I do. They're very well-placed quips. Thank you. But but seriously, I have to get out of this fucking wheelhouse. <laughs> all right. Come on <laughs> Let's now. do it. Open the door. Let's climb out. Let's climb out. Knock, Don't knock. Don't make me do the door. Oh. <laughs> Eric just did a makeshift Halted. door. We're glad that you've all, all right. joined us yet again. This is our... Hey-o. Second dive into High Sparrow. High Sparrow. High Sparrow. <laughs> I love this in-season discussion that we have because oftentimes the Monday show, well, as it happened again this week, bleeds over into the Friday show. Mm. There was just so much to talk about with episode three of season five that here we are doing it again the same week. You got sort of twice as much goo. Uh, as you did in the off-season, or on-season. These are good problems to have. Yeah, great problems. As far as problems go, I would agree. It is a good one to have, and I just think it's because these episodes continue to become more and more filled with important content, and there's no fluff anymore that you could just kind of pass over. Everything is important, especially as we start to get more and more scenes that the Unsullied and the Sullied collectively are not familiar with. How are those unsullied scenes stacking up, Micah? I mean, the sullied <laughs> scenes. How are they stacking up? Are you getting lots of Am I of getting surprises? nervous? Yeah, yeah. How does it feel? How does it feel? And remember, you're representing everyone that's read the books that's listening, so no pressure. Mm. No pressure at all. I don't have Terry here to back me up. Exactly. No Terry. Nothing. I'm actually enjoying it a bit. Uh, I think the biggest departure so far is the scenes in... Winterfell with the Boltons and now Sansa and Baelish because mm-hmm. it's uncharted waters and there are certainly other storylines that David and Dan have chose to go in a different direction with and maybe speed up a little bit, add some new elements to. But this is really the one that is new and different and it's exciting because we don't know where it's going. We can only guess and it gives me uh, a lot of joy to be able to be part of the group now that's just theorizing about what's going to happen because, quite honestly, I have no idea. We posted an image from season one on Twitter. It was uh, John and Jamie. And it just reminds me, it's been since season one so you've, you, since you've gotten to feel this this glee. So I'm happy for you, man. And I'm happy yeah. for all of you out there that are happy for yourselves. If you hate this, I sympathize with you. Yeah, but we got to see Winterfell again. Winterfell still being rebuilt. Uh, a lot of plywood, a lot of bare, bare wood, people carrying lumber around. Uh, they're rebuilding. Winterfell, it feels like coming home in a way. It, it doesn't does. quite feel that way for Sansa, I don't think, until that woman has her line. But, um, you know, completely different Winterfell. In some ways, it's the same. It should be called Woodfell now. 
would fail. I saw someone wrote into us making a comment of, about how perfect the uh, the builders at Winterfell were constructing two by fours, just perfectly <laughs> constructed two by four pieces of lumber. And I was like, oh, that's very funny. They, they just went cool. down to the local Ace Hardware. Yeah, picked they went up to, some they went to Meeks two by fours. <laughs> Mace, <Yeah>. Mace Hardware. <laughs> there you go. Yes, Mace Hardware. <laughs> I'm Mace. What does he say? It was the quote at the beginning of our episode. I forget what he said. He's like, hi, Septon. I'm very surprised to hear this, sir. Mace Tyrell's the best. <laughs> a man's anyway, private affairs <laughs> should stay private. Stay private. Oh, I do a gr- I do a wicked Meister Pizel when I'm sick. Yeah, you should get sick more often. We're yeah, we're, yeah, we're excited be. to revisit all of this. Um, it was a it was a full episode. I remember when we finished recording on on Sunday night, how excited we were to release that mm-hmm. episode. It's very. it's really fun for us because when we're making these shows, it's essentially. Uh, an hour and a half of complete improv. We just watch or read, and then we, as friends, we've been doing this for 271 episodes, now 272, and we just meet and we obviously have a discussion. So when you come away from a discussion that feels so so just in the middle of it, it just felt electri- electrifying and fun. Uh, it's a great mm-hmm. burst of confidence when you're turning it into a show form and releasing it to tens of thousands of you to listen to over the week after such an important thing to you, one of your favorite TV shows, possibly your favorite TV show, possibly your favorite story, uh, has aired on television. So uh, just thank you again for, for choosing to be with us. This is uh, I'd say it's it's time. my favorite TV show. I was in a, a meeting today, and, and we were doing an icebreaker. We were introducing ourselves. Most of us knew each other, but there are a few in the room who didn't. And the This was after happy hour, by the way, everyone. <laughs> like We had to reintroduce ourselves to each other. Uh, yeah. Happy hour at noon, maybe. Uh, it was uh, to tell what your... Uh, theme song would be and of oh course God. did you I, pick a wrestling theme song please i did not no i went with the game of thrones theme song so okay. Okay. Uh, i thought it was appropriate for did you add lyrics to it like why is that tonight? why is that micah tannenbaum i just i just sang peter dinklage over and over again oh okay do you still have a job that's the real question Yes, I do. Everybody Good. loved it. Micah remains gamefully employed. So, uh, the Game of Thrones theme song by Ramin Jawani. That is your, is your, I'm imagining you walking into your office. Micah has a very important job in New York City and he walks yes. into his office with a fucking cape on with Game of Thrones <laughs> oh, yeah. theme song playing in the a background. A helm that's like a stag or something. Micah, yeah. what's your spirit animal? No, he's got a camel coming off of it. Come oh, on now. Oh yeah, camel. All right. It's right, a right. huge camel and this camel has antlers. Why a the fuck cam- not? A camel across <laughs> the breastplate and the humps are the breasts. Oh, I didn't like know he had a breastplate the... on. This is even better. Oh yeah. Do you yeah, still have yeah, a tie yeah. on is the question. Is it under the breastplate <laughs> Or over the breastplate. I think it's you know you tuck it so it's you like gotta above. tuck it yeah, yeah, you yeah it's a collar it. and you tuck it under the breastplate. so it doesn't billow when you're flying away because right, now, get right in your eye you won't be able what's to going to happen though is that I'm going to have to take a picture in the office in some form of this <laughs> all right good this is sometimes we give you challenges sometimes we give each other challenges sometimes we challenge ourselves on Game of Thrones <laughs> this episode what are we talking about we've got Podrick and Brian. Uh, lots, oh. ha- lots happen there. We're yeah, going yes, north yeah. to the wall, Castle Black, under new Hello. leadership. Not too bad. Uh-huh. And then uh, we're gonna hop back in the wagon and head straight back to Atlantis. <laughs> Actually, we're still there. We just we're going in our minds. Yeah. Come with us. We're using better microphones. All the the wagon noise is canceled. Don't you guys believe we're actually in a wagon right now, headed to Atlantis? We have the wine, after all. We do have the wine. Eric has tea. I do. I actually have <laughs> uh, spring water at the moment. Oh, aren't you fancy? I know. We stopped but, at a local spring and got it. <laughs> yes, and uh, we were talking about Sansa 
a little bit earlier, but we know that there are two characters that are not too far behind, and those are Brienne and Podrick. And right. My own last week went to a particular scene that was discussed between the two of them, and I just thought you got a really good glimpse into Brienne and Pod. Uh, there was some backstory that we got on both characters, and then a really cool moment between the two of them where it seemed as if finally Podrick was able to break through the armor of Brienne. The shell. She's a turtle. No, I think so too. I mean, Pod and Brienne are on, I wouldn't call it an intercept course because uh, Sansa made it all the way. It's a good reference though. But Brienne knows uh, where they're going. She's like, I know where they're going. They're going to Winterfell and she knows it. And they're, uh, this is not the only team or the only group of people heading to Winterfell. Uh, of course, Sansa and Baelish do get there in this episode, but we know that Stannis is planning on riding for Winterfell soon enough. And the thing about Brienne and Pod, you know, we get these two sort of, I want to say, unexpected backstories. I was not expecting going into this episode that they would have this chat by the fire where they reveal highly interesting, yet previously completely untold, unexpected nuggets about each of their characters. Quite shocking. We get to learn Sir Lormer was the man Podrick served before mm. Lord Tyrion. Bit of a hungry fellow. Bit of a hungry fellow. He, <laughs> well, stole a ham. He borrowed a ham, all right? Borrowed Just a ham. to be proper. And uh, shared it with Podrick, his noble, noble squire, which I'm sure was he was still just as noble to Sir Lorimer. Anyway, at the end of the day, uh, he woke up the next morning, and he still was holding a ham bone, so he was quickly put to death. But when Lord Tywin learned that Podrick had a surname of Payne. He thought he'd keep him alive and send him off to his son in King's Landing. Sort of a mutual punishment, am I right? Yeah, it's interesting that he would send him. It was it was great recollection, by the way, because I definitely couldn't have done that. So uh, kudos to you, Zach, on your impeccable memory. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Very impeccable. I, you do. You have this uh, ability to just recollect these things. It is and a gift. It is a gift. It's it's a practice thing. We've been doing this for so damn long. It's like, <laughs> we better be able to do this. Our listeners expect this out of us. I, I liked your point, though, about how it was really a punishment in a way to send him to go squire right? for Tyrion. Because, of course, we know what Tywin thinks of Tyrion, even though at the time Tyrion is Hand of the King. And we have to assume what Tywin thought of Podrick when he I guess yeah. he that he well, met Podrick. And was like, this guy like, is... Mm. He, yeah. he thought enough about him not to kill him. And that is uh, well because of his last name for nothing else. Well, also maybe he saw Podrick and was like, "Well, this guy's kind of a dunce. Like maybe there's a he's a little spacey. Like this will be a funny trick, essentially. Like my son is acting hand of the king, and I'll give him this guy. It's kind of a slight, but I mean we know it's not a slight because you know he's the best. But I mean they're Mm -hmm. clearly setting up Podrick to sort of we don't consider him that way." Because we love Podrick. But the, he was, only an episode ago, falling off of a horse, screaming, stop, 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 while people were chasing him. So that's kind of how the show is. It's being laid on heavier now than it used to be, because I I think that the people making the show have seen him grow into such a fan-favorite character that he's getting these opportunities to be felt this way. Right. But uh, surely this is leading to some sort of a conclusion with Podrick that's differing from what he is because he's shining the shoe essentially and he's speaking with Brienne and you know the the backstories 
happen. And he comes back and he says what I feel like is so selfless and what is so beautiful. He says, like, I wouldn't learn anything if you didn't snap at me. And this is after she says, I apologize. And that's just about the best thing that you could say. Just he continues to be selfless and to have no pride and to not be stung by any of this. And not to take the opportunity to kind of defend himself and to throw a dagger at her because she's vulnerable after the apology. He, you know, he stays where he should and remains to be the person that he has been. It almost comes full circle in a way off of the point that you just made where the last episode he's falling out of his horse and trying to scraggle to get back up. And and now here he has Brienne tell him, basically, I can teach you how to fight and I can (laughs) help make you all the things that would be as good as being considered a knight. So I suppose that's more important. Yeah, he finally now has this opportunity to learn from somebody who is one of the best. Uh, at at what she does and i think that this is the beginning of a uh a budding relationship even though i mentioned earlier brienne's armor slowly starting to be you know, chipped away at almost like ice in a sense but huh. she's not there yet I, I, podrick probably has to do a few more uh moves of his and and you know give her a little bit more of that pod charm to, <laughs> to puppy dog to, eyes to break through in in the in the right way i don't know i mean i i think that he has uh broken through a little bit further than uh even you Micah, have just given him credit for because she did after all uh open her heart to him or open up about this story that she had of when she was a little girl and first laid eyes um, and more on Renly Baratheon. I mean, she's been with us for this the entire length of her story, and she hasn't told us this yet. It took Podrick right. to get it out of she her. She doesn't just tell people this. This is something that was unknown. And if you had asked me going into the episode, I would have told you it didn't happen. It's just explained everything. Yeah. I think it was just kind of something that we all were okay with, her her love of Renly and her, her dedication to serving him. That was just something we were okay with. It was only an episode or two that it, or was it just the the one episode that Catelyn arrived? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a very short amount of time that we saw them together. So it was something that we just kind of glossed over and agreed with. But this makes right. complete sense now. And it's so telling of who she is, who she grew into as a person. And it does really well to give credit back to other lines in the story and to give credit back to someone that, if you remember everyone listening, if you listened, we used to sing the praises of Renly Baratheon. When right. it was during the time of the show, and it was during the time of our read through of the first two books, and it's so now, guy. yeah, and we get to revisit that a little bit here, so it was nice. It just proves that we were right. <laughs> 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 Not that we needed any confirmation, but we got so many owns about this particular moment because I think it really confirmed that Renly is the king that we would have all wanted at the end of the day, and and mm. this is just another example of why. And just the the kind-heartedness to be able to go up to Brienne as a child and to dance with her in front of all of these people. The king's brother, no less. Yeah. Uh, he was, at that time, the king's brother. And that shut all those little snotty little shits up. Imagine mm-hmm. you're on the Sapphire Isle. Imagine Selwyn Tarth has organized this beautiful gala. Imagine you're Brienne, the beauty. Oh, man. Not quite the beauty yet as far as the nicknames are concerned. And you're dancing with all of these boys. And imagine if at one point they start to all snigger because the joke is up. I think this is how her story went. And imagine not that anyone came and took up for you, but that 
the cool like imagine okay so let's say they're all around 15 years old it's it's the person it's the king's little <laughs> brother who steps up <laughs> and has your back that's cool that's beautiful yeah. it's picturesque it, it is beautiful uh the quote from brian uh from this episode is he saved me from being a joke from that day until his last day he did he accepted her as a member of his rainbow guard she earned that like i think it was yeah. this 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 little bit of confidence that he gave her to this uh this comfort level that that came from his words that allowed her to excel at being who she was meant to be this fighter this warrior uh you know he he encouraged her basically to be herself mm-hmm. or to be who she needed to be and that I mean, for her to dedicate then all of the, the I don't want to say spoils, but like the rewards, like basically she became strong. She became a great fighter and then pledged her service to Renly in the end. And it was perfect. Now, coming in, as you said, Zach, back in, I guess, season two, um, when we meet her and she's fighting for this honor, you know, she, he, he Renly says to her not knowing uh, who it is under the helm you know, take anything you like, have, you can have anything, need only ask for it. And she gets on one knee and asks to be in his Kingsguard. It's, you know, it's very special, but this moment really illustrates that better. It's, and yeah, uh, that's so we true. often hear about, you know, people talk about Ned, John and Stannis talked about Ned again, this episode, Ned's long gone, but we don't get as much of that uh, treatment for previous other dead um, people that we've loved. And so it's nice to get that about Renly. That scene is so much more beautiful now. I think in part it was to set up the next scene with Stannis. And she has a line about Stannis just before the scene switches over saying that he's a man, not a shadow, and a man can be killed. And that to me was the reason to bring Renly into the conversation and to really tie together the fact that Stannis is still, in many parts, not well-liked. We we seem to have become a bit endeared to him uh, because of what he did up at the Wall and yeah. because of his growing relationship with John. And even yeah. Davos points out that Stannis seems to have a level of respect and interest in, in John's ability to succeed as Lord Commander. So uh, we we have a good feeling about him, but at the same time, it, it's meant to have us remember that Stannis was responsible in some part for the death of Renly. And we don't know yeah. what is to come. We know yeah. that Brienne is seemingly on a mission. We know she's out to protect Sansa and Arya, but at the same time, she is looking to avenge Renly and kill Stannis. This is just a such a difficult situation because we know why Stannis was so angry with his brother. I mean, when the realm learned that Stannis was the rightful heir, the thing not to do would have, I mean, we, we talked about this, I remember years ago, but you know, yeah, Renly yeah, essentially yeah. gathering bannermen that should have gone to Stannis, you yep. know, and other people, including his, his friend from long ago coming from Tarth to come help out. It's just not – that wasn't a good thing to do. No, it wasn't. I mean, yeah. And you can't – that's not – it doesn't make it all right what he – like the way he fought back with Melisandre and eventually right. leading to her brother – his brother dying. It's just – all of it is so complicated. You know, the meeting with the Peach 
uh, with Catelyn Stark and Melisandre's words for Renly, the night is dark and full of terrors. Full of terrors, yeah. And, and, and that sort of face-off and him warning his brother and them, and them like talking to each other, Renly being so crass to Stannis. Like, that seems like forever ago. And, you know, all almost all of the characters that we know have had black and white happen in their structure. You know, we grew to love someone like Sandor Clegane that killed Micah. The Butcher's Boy. I don't want to say that they begin with a, with a fresh slate, but I have certainly become, over the years, uh, incredibly endeared to Stannis. You know, that's interesting. I mean, Jamie's the same way too, right? I mean, we meet him, he throws Bran exactly. out the window. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we love this guy. Let's follow him to Dorne. Exactly. He is, he, you know, we are giving, not just us, but people all in the community and tweeting at us almost nonstop throughout the week even. Right. About... Uh, you know, it's Jamie fucking Lannister like that, you know, last week, that's these moments are so cool to us. But, you know, Jamie Studley and Lawless is oh, like she's fainting at the side of him and Braun is walking up to him. And that's great. But this is the guy that pushed Bran out, out of the window. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we we forget those things that that's the problem. Right? right. These characters are so complex on so many different levels and that we're able to see the good and the dark in a lot of them goes to the brilliant writing of, of George and to the, the showrunners. Absolutely. I, we obviously we haven't reached this in the books yet. I can only assume that it is, but learning this about Renly Baratheon is so masterful from George R. R. Martin because Renly has to deal with being so different with his sexuality growing up in this world, growing up in this society. And so him, him being the person that would help Brienne, who was dealing with a pretty shallow concern, considering right. uh, when you compare the two, for him to help her grow out of that shell and to be proud of who she is when he has to constantly deal with what he's dealt with and continue right. to deal with what he's dealt with, being in such yeah. a high place of power and you know being the king's brother, I guess only escalates his problem. You know, being in such a, a center of attention in a place like King's Landing, where there are no secrets. Uh, right. It's just poetic in a way that he was the person at a young age that helped this person grow out of her problem. Yeah, absolutely. Very well and, written. And, you know, when she talks about it, and and you can see the love that she continue, that she still has uh, for Renly, and it's not wrong, it's not misplaced. But at the same time, because of how we feel about Stannis currently, you want to see her fail, or you want to see her. I personally want to see Brienne get there. Like, she can kill Stannis, that's fine. But wait until Stannis kills Roose and Ramsay and gets on the throne and all is well until <laughs> Danny comes. And then right. she can kill. Like, and then Danny takes know, care of the White Walkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want it all to, to fit together in a really nice way because wouldn't it suck if uh, if Brienne somehow finds a way to make it past uh, Stannis' men and, and does kill him? Just before he's about to, you know, lay siege to Winterfell. I don't want to put this into the universe. Yeah, it's well, like you know, it's just like don't say it out loud. It was, w- you so know, it though. It's like this up. could go like say it's the day before Stannis's men completely level Winterfell. Right when they're about could, to leave. You, yeah, right when they're right when they're about to kill the Boltons and all this stuff. She comes in. She doesn't know what the situation between the Boltons and uh, the Baratheon and Stannis is. So she just you know finds her way into camp, kills Stannis, walks out. And now there's nobody to really lead the charge against the Boltons. And the Boltons get to live, and it's all because of Brienne. But we love Brienne. We know she was acting well, and that's just what happens. So I, I don't that's know. That's the game, like though. And and these characters the have been set on a collision course with each other. Right. It's just a matter of time before they all come face to face. And so uh, one other thing I would add, too, about Stannis, because 
he is a character that uh, Stephen Delane does a great job oh of <sighs> making you <laughs> We're so ridiculous. We're so guys. He walks in. He walks in. (laughs) Lord Commander. He walks into the room. Lord Commander. Oh, in the books, he's not as a not seen as much as being a character that people connect with. He's he's very cold and calculating, and he still is, though. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just the way he's portrayed. Um, it's just seeing a face on him, you know, rather than Micah is because he is. He is the one true king. He is the rightful heir. Everything from when he first walks into John's office, which I guess is cool, and is like Lord Commando, and treating him with you know respect. Basically, there's um, he gives him control of the wildlings. Like there's just a ton in this whole conversation. He's like, I leave their fate to you regarding the White Walkers and all sorts of other revelations, to the point where he you know he wasn't even in the mess hall when uh, was it Janus Slint. Uh, stood up against John, but Stannis approves of executions, the cold bastard that he is. And, um, you know, when he sees John really dole out justice at the end of John's scene, he gives him that slight, the slightest of, of non-nods, you know? And it's just like this, the, these, these two men who understand the ways of the North, understand, you know, what must be done. There's a real kinship. There's a real kinship you almost can't put into writing or dialogue between those two. And it comes across extremely well through these two actors. Definitely. It's something that as a book reader, you've been waiting to see come to life on screen. And and this particular moment is important. And, and I don't want to skip over necessarily the conversation that takes place between John and Stannis and then, and then John and Davos, but there's so much to talk about. John yeah. Slint is somebody who has had this coming to him for so long. And if you remember way back when he was sent to the wall by Tyrion. Right. And he is almost as culpable in the death of Ned Stark as Joffrey is. And for John to be able to behead the person who was responsible for betraying his nice father as head around. of the Night's Watch yep. is so important. And it's such a sense of justice. And I know we had a couple of people write in about he's truly Ned's son because he believes in the fact that the man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Yeah. And just that whole sequence of events, and I think that is why he gets the head nod from Stannis. Oh, my gosh. That was probably my favorite moment uh, of the series. <laughs> like, I don't know. Sup, bro? A bit, I Good job. shallow. He was just like, give in to your hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strike me down. hate. <laughs> and one other thing I wanted to bring up about that, uh, because I actually just read an article uh, that Kit Harrington was being interviewed and he spoke about the complete contrast between John in season two with Egrit and mm. not being able to go through with the beheading and this particular scene with Slint and him actually being able to go through with it and not give in to the mercy cry. Yeah. And it shows how he's evolved as a character and as a person. And he has the weight of the responsibility on his back as well, of being, of being in command. Of looking weak, yeah. It's all relative. Right. I mean, let's look into that for a moment, the mercy cry, why he did not uh, grant mercy. I, I feel like at the, at the very end, it took him long enough to get there, um, but Slint was, was being rather sincere uh about who he was as a person. I'm afraid. I've always been afraid. That's true. And he asked for mercy and John denied it. 
and cut his head off. Like, that's great. Uh, again, Ned Stark, yes, passes it and swing the sword. But I don't think there's anything in the law book of Ned Stark that said John couldn't have given Janos mercy. So why did he kill him? Is it because he knew that Janos would never truly be on his side? Is it because he uh, has a whole mess of problems and, you know, he needs to not look weak in front of his men? And That's a lot of questions you're throwing well out there. It is. <laughs> it is. You know, what are you, what are you thinking here? Like, what, what is your guy's take on it? Because uh, watching the episode the first time and even the second time, I'm thinking, okay, like, that was a badass scene. You know, yeah. they, fetched the bl- they fetched the block. <laughs> they but did. why didn't he give him mercy? Because I feel like in the end, Janos would have gone to, was it Eastwatch or Greyguard? Uh, Greyguard, Eastwatch. I think. Greyguard, yeah. Well, well I- <laughs> <laughs> please, Zach and I are going to answer at the same go. time. Please, yeah. I insist. Uh, a couple of things. I think that, number one, he betrayed a direct order by the Lord Commander, yeah, which not once, but like twice, right? God. is punishable by death. Shove it up your bastard eyes. Because you're essentially betraying the oath that you took. And I think that not only did he betray a direct order he made light of John and who he is in front of the entire night's watch that were in that room. And I think then when he was faced with the decision, it it really harkened back to me to the opening scene of this entire series with Ned and another member of the night's watch, right? Who was in a very similar position. He deserted them. And that's not all that dissimilar from what Janos did here. Remember, he was cowering true. in a corner when yeah. they were fighting the wildlings. Right. Now, that should be punishable enough. That but to is, disrespect yes. John, the Lord Commander, and treat him the way that he did. I mean, if any <laughs> I, I think of how Janos got owned by Thorne and when <laughs> Thorne just oh, said, All right, God. dude, you you basically just dug your own grave. And and I don't think that John could allow the Night's Watch, the Wildlings, Stannis, Stannis's men, to see him be weak in that moment. He needed to deliver on what he said when he told them to bring his sword, and he did. And I think that puts him in probably a bit of a moral dilemma, but also showed that he's a strong leader and he's going to stick to his word. Interesting. Makes a lot of sense. I was the first time I watched it, I was just kind of taken aback. I was like, damn, that's a bit extreme, don't you think? You just chopped his head off. Yep. But and the fact that he deserted the battle and it's a joke among the men, and after he stood up and defied the Lord Commander, basically said, What did he say something about leading the men of King's Landing when he was still soiling his soiling swaddling, his swaddling clothes. clothes? Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's questionable because. On called him hand, a bastard, too. He called him a bastard, which I feel like all of these things, being rude to the Lord Commander, should not be punishable by death, but but betraying his oath, which we've seen uh, is punishable by death, um, yeah. makes makes a lot of sense. I don't think that John needed to prove himself to the men. I don't think that the men are worried about John being weak. John was voted in by those men. I don't That's think that. True. I don't think the, the, there's a worry of, of of leadership here. Well, at least at all. half of the men voted for him. But yeah, I, I'm I'm agreeing with you. But yeah. the, it's not like they voted not for John because they don't like John. They voted for Alistair Thorne because Alistair Thorne is also a pretty badass dude. Badass, and, then, yeah. and the Night's Watch. He so that's you know I don't think that's why there's no hostility there. Like John was voted in. 
he gave Thorin the respect in front of all the men that he, he did not give him to, the duty to lead the latrine. Obviously, this was a great, great job for a ginger, not for Sir Alistair Thorin. So, I love how well, I love how well the ginger took it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a ginger. We yeah. need someone to oversee have this fun, crucial Ron. task. But, but there was that this vulnerability crucial, where crucial Alistair task. Thorne was like, there was, you could see in his eyes, he was wondering if John was going to put him in charge. That's the beauty of this, though. Alistair Thorne has been a person that was very rude to John, but John was very headstrong. He was he was being too strong to his fellow men. He was castle raised. He was raised in combat. John has really grown as a right. as a person into someone that could be respected by an elder, not this hothead. And after what he did with the Battle of Castle Black, the really the only thing that Thorne really had to say was that he had sex with a wildling girl and that he was pretty I mean uh, who doesn't <laughs> sympathetic to the wildlings. So it's not That's like he was necessarily for us at the wall. Attacking his character. So with mm-hmm. with their relationship and after what he said to all those men, that was good and that was fine. But what 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 Jano Slint did was was too much, and he had basically betrayed his oath a good handful of times. I'm sure in his own in yeah. his own regard before that. So that's why John did what he did. I don't think he did it because he needed to prove himself to Stannis or anyone else. Because obviously he's comfortable enough to make jokes. It seems like a, a better Night's Watch. They're joking about latrines. It's a shame that. Um, yeah. Mace Raymond couldn't make it because he's not feeling well, which uh, struck me as not cool. I Very hate ominous. that. Yeah. Very ominous. But but again, this is just everything felt fine until Jano Slint decided that he didn't want to listen to something that John said just yeah, for the hell of it. Too prideful. Exactly. To, yeah. Uh-huh. And John didn't want to take it. And Santas looked at him and he was like, "You're running this ship. Have fun. We're just staying here." <laughs> ah, I've seen your first. I think execution. some of it yes. tied back into the conversation <laughs> that was had between Davos and John when the point well, actually it goes even further back than that. It's as Stannis is leaving the room and he talks to him about keeping your enemies far away and yeah. immediately Thorn is the one who's brought up. But if you notice it's Slint who's the one who ends up getting sent away. So clearly John thinks that Slint is a bigger threat. And I wonder if that's just because of the relationship that John and Thorne have developed over the years, it may not be the best of relationships, but I think that there's a mutual level of trust there, especially after the battle between the two of them, that they can rely on each other. And I don't know that the same can be said for Slint. And I think that that is in the end why he chooses to send him off to Greyguard. And he, he just, who knows what Slint could try and, and do. It, I feel like it's it's all, you know, a bit subjective, but I, I I can't help but think that that was weighing on John's mind a little bit. Well, right now is not the time for dissension in the ranks. You've got all the wildlings tethered close by. We've got the threat of winter oncoming. Gosh. The king will leave soon, and there's just no room for someone to be so prideful and selfish. It's just it's not the time for that. So I think sending him away to Greyguard was a smart decision. Um, it's just now. Now he's not a problem at all. You're so right that John has so much more to, to deal with. Like, not just the wildlings that we saw from when Mance was executed, but there are, what were there, 10,000, 100,000 100, wildlings, yeah, that are still maybe just on the other side of the wall. Like, they want refuge, don't they, still? Uh, so far as we know. And John has to figure out how to manage that, has to figure out how to navigate that, not to mention, you know, what Stannis is trying to do with his war. 
And John does have plenty to worry about. I do think we should talk about that meeting. It was when Stannis walks in and he's yeah. like, he's like, have you considered my offer? And he had that sort of <laughs> smile on his face. It's like, say the words and you will be. Say the word and you will be. Say the word and you will be. I just want to watch this scene I repeat. And I hope that many of you listening at home uh, felt the same way. Because it was, it was just, I don't know. Seeing him in the office that old bear inhabited and seeing Stannis Baratheon, who's now become such a, a more interesting, I don't know. Everything is just, everything feels good at the wall right now. I feel like it's a circle of life too, <laughs> because, because, uh, because John's got Ollie there as his, as his, uh, assistant. And Stannis you know? completely was okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. John was like, listen, I don't want him to leave. And normally Stannis burns people when they disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this case. Right. This was a good encounter. Yeah, it was, it was great, as I said earlier, to watch these two interact with each other and to make John the offer of being able to become Lord of Winterfell, to take back the castle that belongs to his family, to avenge his family. He just can't do it, and it's because he's been elected Lord Commander. Not to say that he would have decided any differently before that, because I still think He's true to his vows and he's true to his brothers. And right. we talked about that a lot on um, actually the, the second episode of last week yeah, with, Terry. With, with Terry Schwartz. And it, it's just, is this something that is going to be John's ultimate undoing, this unwavering sense of loyalty similar to what happened to Ned Stark? And I realize that there's nobody better at this point to lead the Night's Watch and to try and rally to lead either party, honestly. The wildlings to their cause, exactly, and and really unify these two groups to be able to fight what's coming. And I I really, really enjoy the conversation even more so between Davos and John. Gosh. When too good. he he called them out and he said, "Look, good television right now. <laughs> you're sitting up here in your little frozen castle at the edge of the world, and and there's bigger problems to deal with, and you need to get yourself and these men ready to fight and get your act in order. Because what are you doing, dude? Like you're just chilling out here." And, <laughs> and we know how convincing Davos Seaworth is. He convinced Very. the Iron Bank. He yeah. convinced Stannis to go to the Iron Bank, which is arguably more That's difficult true. to do. That's true. And nothing Stannis does is ever quite good enough. Davos is like, now nah, I'm going to stay after. Let's see, <laughs> see if I can wrestle him just a little bit closer to where you we see need something to be. in you. Oh, you see something. It's really nice to see, though, this this relationship between these characters that we all hold so hold so dear. Just seeing them all together, share a conversation. And then for Stannis to be so congenial and to say things like, you're as stubborn as your father and as honorable. Obviously, this makes complete sense to us. But it's just a, this, this is just dramatic payoff for all of us viewers and readers that are so interested. And uh, we get even more so when it's just Davos and he and Davos asking Ollie to recite the vow. And he says to repeat the bit at the end. And he uses that as an example directly from the vow to give John a reason to step up and fight, not necessarily to leave his role as Lord Commander, but to step up and help the area and what is to come. So it's just... It's, I'm not it's a learned Ben. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So humble. So humble, Davos. The best way to help people might not be sitting in a frozen castle at the edge of the world. It means putting yeah. on your boots and getting your hands dirty. 
and smuggling onions. I'm mm. just glad he didn't show him the hand again, right? That's that's Davos's <laughs> way. <laughs> Have you seen what he did? Uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Have I showed you this yet? <laughs> it was good, and someone died. I, I feel like it would be rude of us not to mention the very dramatic music and like shot of the shadow of John. Before oh he my got god, up. putting the <laughs> putting the mug down? Yeah, like, it was it, like a, a horror boom. movie sequence there for yeah. a second. He was like he had this face like ah like he was an yeah. evil murderer. And uh it was it was pretty intense, but uh it ended rather intensely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I can't help again but harken back to the fact that he was now five seasons later avenging his father in some small way with probably not even knowing it, to be honest with you. I I think it's a bit more clear yeah, in the yeah. books and john has a better understanding of really who jano slint is that's awesome but I, I don't think he knows here much more than the fact that he used to command the city watch so that's very cool uh, and it, it is one of those really powerful moments where you as a fan are just kind of pumping your fist because despite the cry for mercy you know what this guy is responsible for and and now he's getting his comeuppance right well, for the lack of a of a great transition, I'm going to go ahead and pull a horrible transition out of this bag <laughs> and say something about comeuppance. I got nothing. But well, Jan- Janos Janos got his freedom in a way which he deserved, and I think Tyrion really is the one who deserves all of the freedom. Well, Tyrion is the one who sent Janos to the wall, so you can tie it in that way. Oh, there you go. We've just transitioned everyone. We're here. <laughs> We're in Volantis, sort of. We're still in the the wagon. Both figuratively, literally, um, there was a conversation that was shared. Very short. Tyrion still has a bit of a... Uh, cabin fever. Yeah, cabin fever. <laughs> nice. And he's tired of looking at Varys. Conleth Hill with I mean, shaved. wouldn't you be after that long? I don't know. Varys has got one of those, you know, pleasant yeah, one of those faces. faces. Yeah. It smells like lemons and... Right. <laughs> other... Saffron. <laughs> fruits and... Mixed berries. Flowers and... Mixed berries, yeah. He uh, is not in disguise, although he is very sharp-witted. I love to hear these two share a conversation when he's saying, I need to get out of this wheelhouse, and, and Varys just has a reply uh, at shorthand available to him. They stop, and I can't help but wonder if this is not the best idea that Tyrion's had in a <laughs> while. <can't>. And <laughs> we know how it plays out, but... Just given the fact that Tyrion is a wanted man and that they know potentially that Varys could be traveling with him, they are probably the most likely pair of individuals to be spotted anywhere. That's true. They're pretty distinctive um, or distinguished to anyone who has heard tell, right? You've got a dwarf and then you've got a eunuch. Um, shaved head, tall, in robes, you know, hiding the faces. I, I don't think, to, to answer, to get back to what you're saying, that uh, I don't think that Tyrion properly appreciates the situation. Um, and Varys has done a terrible job, as it turns out, preparing him for the situation. Not respecting uh, Tyrion's need to get out and walk around a little bit. I mean, presumably they weren't traveling through the most well-traveled, you know, cities all the way there. And he could have let Tyrion out, you know, for a walk uh, prior to them getting here. Now that they're just outside the city, or if, I don't know if the bridge is part of the city or whatever, you know, however it is. But now that they're there and Tyrion rushes out and is making quips louder than he should, everybody in that whole courtyard (laughs) hears what he has to say about (laughs) Thoros Mir. 
and red priestesses. Um, he's he's very uh, not clumsy, uh, very very loud and very obvious and very conspicuous is what I'm trying to say. Well, how can you blame him? Look at the place. Have you seen it? Did you did you see that introduction shot? Did you see that we didn't simply just arrive in Volantis and get treated to tight alleyways of small close sets? Did you see how? Beautiful mm-hmm. that establishing shot was, guys. It was amazing, it was right? Yeah. So amazing, we posted it on Facebook, yeah, <laughs> did we? and Twitter. I think, of course, we, of course we did. <laughs> of course we did. Yeah, it's it's it may make our cover photo for all its beauty, but I, I just have to give such credit to the individuals who work on the show to create that kind of shot for book readers. We we know it to be the long bridge, right? This long bridge oh, that connects the two. Well, I mean, Good. it's not that creative when you think about it to call it the long bridge when it's a long bridge that that really uh, connects the two different halves of Volantis and in the water, mm. the body that it, that it runs over is the Roin. And so it's just really cool when you've been reading about these places, similar to, to what you know, we were talking about last week with Dorn, or was it two weeks ago at this point? No, right. last week, right, with Dorn. So uh, yeah. to to finally to be able to visualize some of these things, and I thought the 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 way that the culture was depicted of Volantis, you know, getting introduced as we're walking through this alleyway of sorts with Varys and Tyrion, and Varys is describing all the different sorts of people that live here, and uh, it's just we we've heard about these places in passing so many times in reading the books, and now here we finally are. You know, we exactly. have two pivotal characters who are in Volantis. Yeah, how cool is that? And we learned, I think our first mention of Volantis outside of a small mention was from Lady Talisa because that's where she was from. And we got to hear about the oh. summer in Volantis and we got to hear about the river and we've got to hear about the water. And it's not that we're just randomly here and we've got to see places over the course of the whole series. But this is sort of echoing what I said in the last episode. Here we are in the midst of season five and these things aren't being glossed over like the world continues to grow. We get these beautiful establishing shots with references that book readers would only understand. And that is it's it's like the initial audience that it took to get the show off the ground did their job. The show has reached critical critical mass. There was an article recently posted. You guys can look it up online. Um, HBO sent out a press release that was basically saying uh, statistics from last year have been destroyed. Downloads, views, wow. etc. are up, which everyone did not expect. I remember reading the comments. I remember feeling the vibe from the community. They were like, we've reached it. This is season four. We've got yeah. Oberyn Martell. We're in the midst of a storm of swords. The tension is mounting. This is following the Red Wedding. This is going to be the peak of Game of Thrones. Well, technically, people, it's not. We're still in it. And it's being celebrated properly. We've got Tyrion and Varys traveling to Volantis, entering Volantis, meeting the peoples and their facial markings in Volantis. And yeah. who else do we meet in a brothel? Not to skip too much forward in this conversation, but Jorah Mormont, one of our favorites, crowd pleaser, maybe not a queen pleaser. But no. when we saw that Van Brace slam down, when we saw his bracer, it was like, oh, shit. I knew at that moment. I know that hand. I know that forearm. That is Jorah fucking Mormont. How did you guys feel about that? Well, oh, speechless. Okay. Eric, how oh, did you okay. feel about it? How about how did I that? Feel about it? There's that moment where, so they're in the they're in the whorehouse, and they know that, or they realize that Tyrion notices that one of the prostitutes is made up to be Daenerys Targaryen, 
And we do get this shot of basically Jorah's profile looking at this woman too. And I feel like that's very... He, he's, he's very uh, ashamed that he's here, that she sent him away. If I can read into that expression, I mean, I think it's he, he would consider it to be uh, treasonous to dress this way in a whorehouse and pretend that you're his queen. But sort of in the, in the response to uh, his line, right, he says, I'm taking you to the queen. People that I've seen are wondering, oh no, what does this mean? Is he going to take Tyrion back to Cersei? Because the line is kind of maybe allows for you multiple interpretations. And Cersei did. They've built it up so far in this season that, you know, there's a bounty out for him and a lordship to any man. who. But I, I really don't think it's a question at all which queen Jorah is taking her to. I think I think Jorah is, is, is one sort of one-track mind about the whole thing. I think he's going to take... Tyrion directly to Daenerys, which is kind of funny because that's just what Varys and Tyrion kind of were planning on anyway. <laughs> but he's going to take him to Daenerys and say, here is sort of the, the, the family member of the family that destroyed your family. Your brother, all the children would have killed you if they could too. Here, my queen, this is my redemption. He's on a, he's on a very, he, he quests, uh, he thirsts for redemption. And I think Tyrion's his ticket. So... Jorah is totally all for Danny still. You can tell it's in that look that he gives to the prostitute who's dressed as Danny. Um, there's no question yeah. in my mind. Well, clearly she is the most popular in that particular the mother house dragon. of... You know what? Wasn't there uh, the second sons, one of the three leaders, wasn't it, who said, I may have, like, you may have sat on my lap the other night in a whorehouse. Do you think that that was a reference to the fact that people are actually dressing up like the mother of dragons? And, like, selling themselves, selling their persona as her because she's become a sort of local celebrity. Either that or the reference to the fact that he gets around and doesn't really remember who he sleeps with. Right. I mean, yeah, I just thought he was being Yeah, scum. he was a bit of a pig. Yeah, yeah, I thought that too. But now that we've seen that women in whorehouses are, dre- are dyeing their hair blonde or wearing blonde wigs and wearing basically what Danny wears, you really made me ask the question. That's what we all do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just funny mm-hmm. because she's really reached this... Uh, status over there in Essos, which is cool. I mean, it's interesting, especially after what happened uh, as the walkthrough of Atlantis took place when we, we came upon this red priestess. This was uh, this is something yeah, we that we, we've always spoken about. We've always said Daenerys has fire. She's the mother of dragons. You know, she is, you know, talking about having the Lord's light within her. She, she sat inside of a fire and survived and hatch three dragons directly afterward. It's just very interesting to hear finally, and I, we're not talking about this excited enough because this is, this is, this is, a, no, it's I, pretty big deal. I felt like a very big deal, a very huge reveal in the show. Finally, to have some official confirmation that these same people, this is essentially Volantis's version of Melisandre are standing up and town crying the words and associating the mother of dragons, Daenerys Targaryen, with their cause, the cause of the Red God. Yeah. I like feel like we need to introduce party music right now because this is a big deal. <laughs> right? That was terrible. That was the worst. Please actually. No, it was it was actually pretty good. Sunshine. It yeah. was it was beautiful, it was Eric, bad. for your yeah. 
illness aside, it was amazing. This red priestess is saying the exact, based on the translation, based on the the subtitles, she's saying exactly the words that Melisandre herself has uttered, uh, probably when putting people to the torch on the beach in front of Dragonstone. And she's saying it in a different language, but it's the same prayer. It's the same mantra. Except she's not saying that Lightbringer will be the answer to their problems. She's saying saying, that Daenerys Targaryen is born of this fire and that she... It's all. Yep. It's what we've thought. For and of course, so Tyrion long. makes light of the situation when he's yeah. talking to Varys and he said, You didn't tell me you were taking us to the Savior. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> wants to meet the Savior. I, I couldn't help but notice that this red priestess looked directly at Tyrion when she said the word Savior. Yeah, it was, it's weird that he made that uh, such a distraction. But I, I seem to recall um, what what is her name? There's uh, someone who follows the Red Religion in the books who actually met up with Danny. She was the one who said uh, that she'd be betrayed. Was it the character who we called uh, Creepy Quaith. Face? Quaith. 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 Now, Quaith is a follower of the Red Religion. Is she not? Did she not identify herself that way to us in the mm, books? I don't ever remember her identifying herself. She just had a conversation with Jorah in the show. It was very brief. She was tattooing some guy and giving him essentially wards so he could enter the doom of old Valyria. How's that for? Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like there was a conversation at one point where uh, they referenced the magic that's coming back into the world, and that's you know sort of when we first started associating Danny's magic, Danny's dragons with like larger forces. I think at play. But anyway, long story short, uh, knowing that the red religion is. Uh, malleable or fits around what Danny can do is yet another like plus one towards that religion being the 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 only one or the biggest one or the most important. A proper conversation for these implications would last an episode or two. I think this is a, this is a, a very big deal, and obviously we're going to discuss this as the episodes go on because I'm sure that this is not the last that we heard of of these implications. Mm-hmm. the The fact that Tyrion is hearing this before he meets Daenerys, either by capture or either by travel with Varys, uh, is telling to what's to come. I think it it means that we're going to have a larger. Finally, I think more than just Daenerys's need to come to Westeros is going to come into play with her, with the explanation for her unlikely rise to how far she's gotten. I think that we're finally going to start cracking into the to the higher powers. Hopefully, I don't know what that means because it's still such a mystery, but it, it's got to be coming. I mean, that, that's what these signs surely mean, unless at the end of the day, these are all just very simply answered by matters of of nature and etc. But Tyrion wasn't speaking loud enough to be overheard. So his involvement in this clearly is very important as well. That's what was shot out to me from what happened in this scene. The fact that he was Mm -hmm. talking and that this red priestess looked over at him with such a serious perspective. And if you look when the shot is wide, everyone is also looking at him, which was very creepy. It just made me feel uncomfortable for him. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? I feel like Tyrion Lannister clearly has a much bigger part to play in this than we expected possibly expected and uh i think it's being kind of shoved in our face in this scene yeah i i wonder to what point i wonder what Varys knew about that specifically about Tyrion's role to play i think i touched on it before when she looks at him very very closely when saying the word savior i i think that there's something about him that will come into play later on. I don't know what that something is, but it's important that he is going to eventually, hopefully, if he makes it there, 
um, ally himself with with Daenerys, and it, the dragon has three heads, right? It's just, mm. I mean, if that's where we're leading, and and these are those characters, then you know the chips are falling as they are. I just, I do feel like so much of it has been questioned, and so much of it has been, in my mind, as someone who hasn't been able to read the the end of the of a storm of swords and and having both the feast for crows and a dance with dragons just be a, a they're, they're a complete mystery i want to crack in and i want to finish these books and i want to be current and i want to be able to read the yeah. lens of winter when it comes out so this is very hard not reading mm. the books for you guys but when when we think of these things uh these possibilities and not knowing if those answers aren't even are aren't shown or if like a scene like this because like up until this point, there's no scene where a red priestess is looking at Tyrion and saying things and and giving further implications. Yeah, I mean he's not the high septon. So he wasn't able to play out exactly. that role in the. That's uh, what I'm saying. But now house. in the show, the show is giving us that right now. Mm. So it's that that's at least happening for us now. So I'm I'm pleased, but I want to read it. Damn it! I'm gonna dance very carefully around the book here, but this meeting with Jorah and it may not a meeting is probably not the best word to use because he basically gets kidnapped random encounter yeah uh it is a bit later on in in the books it there's a whole nother plot line that takes place prior to this and so i i'm interested to see why they chose to do this and why they really sped things up uh because Getting Tyrion to Daenerys is not something that is canon, at least not at this point. So right. we're getting to um, a, a, a juncture, really, in in the show where this whole storyline out east is going to pass where we are in in the series. And so, scary. Without really getting into too many details about what has happened in the books, I think that. The, the major plot points will play themselves out and then the Sullied become exposed to whatever David and Dan have planned for the rest of the season. Uh, this is, there's a lot here. I'm glad that we're able to have these conversations because I'm just, when I, when I saw this scene and I saw the, what happened with Jorah, I mean, obviously how he makes it to Daenerys, it's important enough for us to, to consider and to have a conversation, but I just thought all of these implications and the possibilities, if we pay attention to the to the uh, dialogue like we've have over the past few years, this is just so strong. This isn't the same sort of, you know, like uh, like with it's Walter Frey, you know, and and Rob not following the vow that he took. Right. You know, we couldn't just assume from there that there would be a, a wedding and that they would all be killed. But you know, we we read into it and we kind of have an uh anticipation and we feel a little nervous for what could be happening in the future but we're reaching these parts in the series now where Tyrion walks into a giant mess of of red priestess followers and we feel like there's an implication to what could possibly be in-game stuff so it's just it's different now everyone it's very different i hope it passes what will i do in my spare time <laughs> <laughs> I love I love this line. I love this. The nice the nice lady with the skeptical. You can call mind. her Mindy. Mindy. I can, she's just skeptical. I can, that's not really her name. I'm that's just what you can call her. All right. Mindy. Uh <laughs> this lovely lady with the skeptical mind that Tyrion uh she accuses Tyrion of being shy 
and he thinks that she kind of resembles Shay. But um, I don't know. This was a very endearing character moment uh, for us, obviously. And I feel like they're really, uh, David and Dan are amping up the sympathy for Tyrion because he's about to get kidnapped. But he has this really important moment where he catches himself just at the last possible moment um, when when the lady uh, is taking his hand and leading him back to wherever she's going to take him. He realizes that this is not the first time he's done this, that this is, in fact, this will be the third time he found himself falling for uh, a woman of her employ. And he stops. He stops it from happening. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the third time. Um, it's probably the hundred and third time, but no, I mean, well, I was pointing you mean with to it. with like actual more, feelings. Well, a more, yeah, a more intense because mm-hmm. I feel like he's coming from a place of loneliness. He's been in a box for you know. Yeah, months. it's a great point, and and it, it is a character defining moment for Tyrion because you realize just how much of an impact Shay's relationship had on him. The fact that he can't bring himself to do what he is so accustomed to doing as, as a character, and it's really been a part of what has defined Tyrion, at least from a reputation standpoint. That's what he's known for. And it's just uh, a bit painful to watch as he goes through this. And then we all know what happens after that with with, with Indiana Jorah. <laughs> as, I, as I have called him, I keep calling him that. And, and a couple of people actually wrote in with their owns about where he found all this equipment. And so we'll leave, it, <laughs> leave that to later on. I can't but, wait. I cannot wait. Uh, yeah, it's just... We're left wondering what is going to happen to Tyrion. Tyrion laid it on thick with that prostitute, though, huh? Basically saying he was a Lannister. He was like, I always pay my debts. I always pay my debts. I'm well known for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, He couldn't have painted a bigger target. Well, it happened. The unthinkable happened. He was recognized in Valentis and all the people that could have been. It was Jorah Mormont. And uh, I would like to say that I'm worried for Tyrion, but we've learned so much about Jorah Mormont. Come on right. now. It could be much worse. And he was headed there anyway. It could be much worse. I just love, like, I don't know what Sir Barristan's going to say when when Jorah shows up, you know, with Tyrion in tow. And it's just, he's just probably <laughs> going to be like, oh, okay, this is your one, like, this is the trump card. This is the one card you could have played is to bring her, like, her biggest enemy, one of the three remaining Lannisters. So, I mean, I mean, I know there are plenty of Lannisters at Casterly Rock before we get emails about that. But you know what I'm saying. We're talking about the kid of Tywin. Right. It's not like he started the rebellion, though. So I feel like maybe if, you know, Stannis were there, you know, he be, him being the brother of Robert, I don't know. It's like, yeah. th- there's not a direct, it's like Robert Baratheon would have been the person that I think she would have liked to have had, you know, in front of her and changed the most. Can you imagine those what he scenes? Did to her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that would have been interesting. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't think George is thinking that clearly. I just feel like Tyrion was headed there anyway. And obviously there would have been some kind of, you know, the fact that they would need to prove themselves because she's right. she's in a place of power and et cetera, et cetera. But this is, it's curious. I'm not really sure how to take it. I'm not really sure where it's going, but uh, it's curious. I'm very interested to see where it heads. You said where it heads that I wanted to say, well, it's good luck to rub a dwarf's head. It's even better luck to suck a dwarf's cock. Yeah, that was something, huh? That was, that was unworthy. It was Ownworthy, and a uh, number of people, I think, submitted it as their own. Hey. Really? Have we made it? I think so. I think we're, we're here. on there. I yeah. feel like that was a fruitful discussion. Oh, delicious fruits. I love all um, these fruits that we have in our, in our wagon. I'm really starting to get the feeling, though, that despite all of our great discussion, we need to allow some time here 
to go through the satchel of owns that we received oh, this week. Oh, the satchel. Honestly, I'm going to I'm I'm just going to put this out there. Put it out there. The satchel Let's hear it. is overflowing <laughs> uh, because we got so many of them and we weren't able to include them all, but I do like the assortment that we we received. They are very good, very creative, and let's get the fire going. Yeah, let's just start it in the middle of this wagon. We have a smoke <laughs> fence. Varys can fan the flames. What we need now are your owns. Micah, will you do us the honor of providing a countdown? Countdown to owns? <laughs> I knew you were going to do something like that. All right. We are going to unleash the satchel of owns oh, no. in five, four, three, two, one. This is all I want to do all day, every day, for the rest of my life. <laughs> Wouldn't that be glorious? On Twitter, Jay Sutherland says, Lena Hetty is an absolutely amazing actress. Her performance in episode three, I Sparrow, blew me away. I'm a fan. Tom Lawrence says, tough choice this week. I'm giving my own to Marjorie for just hammering Cersei with zingers. Silky Johnson would have been proud. <laughs> They're also delicious cakes. Very good cakes. M. Mackie writes, so many owns, but this week it's got to go to my number one gal, Marjorie, for burning Cersei so hard that Jamie probably felt it. Ouch. Andy adds, Marjorie with the old one-two punch, quote, grandma, and... Lush, hashtag <laughs> mic drop, hashtag I'm the queen now. Yeah, that hurts. And Christina agrees. Uh, she says, oh my word, Marjorie Tyrell owns Tommen and Cersei, hashtag I'm exhausted, hashtag mother. Oh Marjorie, you are winning the hashtag Game of Thrones. Exhausted. <laughs> Vanessa Karlstrom says, my own goes to Marjorie for reminding everyone that Cersei drinks wine too early in the morning. <laughs> And that her days as Queen Bee are soon over. Oh, uh, it's like Gossip Girl. Oisin Doyle on Facebook. My own goes to Tommen for the line to Marjorie. That's all I want to do all day, every day, forever. Me too, Tommy boy. Me too. Hashtag every wedding needs a betting. Hashtag Chris Hansen. Oh, oh why don't you my take a seat God. over there. <laughs> Just have a seat over there. That's a bit unfair. Just right over there. Oh. Uh, Amy Alsman says, own to Tommen for setting a new record. <laughs> At least he's trying. Nathan Amy. Larson on Twitter, own goes to Tommen for his youthful exuberance in between the sheets. I think Podrick gave him some pointers. <laughs> Hashtag bedroom squire. Not a bad idea. And finally. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's too fucked up. Casey oh Olson. Just look up Casey Olson tweet. <laughs> Casey Olson also gives his own to Tommen, oh saying God. own to poor Sir Pounce oh for now being God. Tommen's second favorite pussy. Sneha, Padamune, or Padjumane. Brienne of Tarth for owning my feels. You are more than a beauty, Brienne. You are a singular and badass Woman. She really is. That armor is slowly being broken away. Christina on Twitter. Daniel Portman owns as Podrick Payne. He is perfection. Hashtag better than book pod. Happy to hear that because I'm enjoying him on the show too. Jane Choi writes, owned a pod for finally defrosting Brian's icy exterior. 
It's the beginning of a beautiful relationship. Mm, you know, Micah, agree. sometimes I think your <laughs> comments from earlier right? in the episode were just from Owens that Defrosting. we then read later in the episode. He's like twiddling his fingers. Ha ha. Yeah. Ruby Kennedy, Owen Renly's heart and kindness. Don't let them see your tears. They're nasty little shits, and nasty little shits aren't worth crying over. That's right. It's true. True in everyday life, too. Eric Lewis, trademark. My own goes <laughs> to Ramsey for lying to the most mistrustful character on the show. Hashtag, I'll never hurt her. Huh. This scares me. This whole situation just yeah. makes me nervous. Jeffrey Houston writes, My own for this week's episode goes to the old lady who meets Sansa in Winterfell. The North remembers. Frida Lavik says, Own goes to those loyal Northerners. They made me feel so many things in this episode. Does Roos really think they won't back Sansa over him? <laughs> Hashtag, the North remembers. The North remembers. Good points. Uh, Strata Nunziata says, Own to Peter Baelish for encouraging Sansa to no longer be a bystander. Even though this was an unexpected move for the Sullied, I'm excited to see how Sansa avenges her family. That would be pretty cool. Chloe Palka says, own to Breepod. <laughs> Sorry, that's hashtag Breepod for all the feels slash having Sansa's back. She's going to need them. There's still some good in Westeros. There's good in Westeros. You just have to look pretty hard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love this next own from Jon Snow is Bay. <laughs> At what the grace on Twitter says, my own goes to Reek because he remembers. Hashtag Theon is not all gone. Hashtag the North remembers. Hashtag a Stark is finally home. Hashtag tears. Hashtag good own. Hashtag a pretty lot decent. of hashtags. Hashtag love the hashtag. Hashtag not so bad. And Professor Art Nerd, my own to Alfie Allen, who crushed every scene he was in with without uttering a single word. That is true. That's very true. Yeah, he it killed it. All motion. Alexander Murphy tweeted in, my own goes to Peter Balish for being uncle of the year. <laughs> uncle of the year. Hashtag nuncle. 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 I don't know, but that's cool. That's a cool word. Yeah. Just like the way it looks written. Nuncle. It's used in other... Never mind, we'll get to it later. Alex Black says, <laughs> own goes to Sansa for remembering courtesy is a lady's armor. When fake smiling at the Boltons and getting in the game. Hashtag yeah, she did. the North remembers. Good periods. Mark Sedano, my own goes to the pregnant pause between Roose Bolton and Sansa Stark. Her icy stare lets him know that winter is coming. <laughs> Gary Manis, owned to Roos Bolton's bold greeting for not getting his throat <laughs> slit by a jaded Sansa. <laughs> Hashtag patient wolf. Uh, I know she's waiting for a more opportune time, but he really had it coming for long enough. I Wait think. for the opportune mm. moment. Patrick Drew tweeted, Own to Ramsey Bolton for bringing in Sansa with his stable of hoes <laughs> looking on. <laughs> Hashtag on to the next. <laughs> wow. Solelani on Twitter. Own to Dan and Dave. A Baelish slash Bolton alliance is the scariest thing the show has ever done. Nice. Even scarier than Shadow Babies. Brian E. Lee on Twitter. Own goes to marriage. Mowage. It owns Sansa like a drunken queen in the morning. She never gets a break. Yeah, she just hasn't had a lot of luck. Joffrey, Tyrion. Ramsey. Ramsey. <laughs> Susan Henning writes, My own goes to the lumber company. This is it! The lumber company supplying oh, the yeah. Boltons with such beautifully cut 2x4s for repairs to Winterfell. Amazing. Amazing. Maze hardware. Nicely done. Maze hardware. 
Someone, please. Someone, make please a Photoshop that. Please make base hardware. That's that's how the Tyrell got their fortune. <laughs> all that rosewood. All those rosewood uh, chests. Yeah, beautiful cedar rosewood. Chests. Yeah, cedar and rosewood. Mm-hmm. Sam Lanazi. <laughs> Winterfeld made the North remembers. I, I can listen. That one cannot be overstated enough. It was my own last week. The North hopefully will remember. Yep. Lorne Essie. My own goes to Ned Stark for teaching John how to handle dissent as a leader. Both Thorne and Slent got what they deserved. That's so true. Hashtag Ned. Over on Facebook, we heard from Rachel Dutch, who says, Own goes to John for reminding us that ginger jokes, <laughs> ginger jokes exist even in Westeros. <laughs> Too yeah, true. that was that was funny. I know Ronald Weasley. And Good moment, Ronald and Weasley. Unexpected. Uh, Stephanie Flores says, uh, "Facebook, Twitter, free friends, full own." Oh, this is for a friend. Kind of you to proxy. Yeah, very kind. To Lord Commander Snow for laying down the fucking law <laughs> right beside Janice's sniveling, cowardly head, and tonight's theme: the North remembers. The North remembers. They love that one. They do love that one. I'm just going to keep saying line. it. It it's feels good. good. Feels it's good better than it. Winter is Coming. Dan Crepin says, My own goes to Valyrian Steel. <laughs> when ordinary <laughs> steel just won't get the job done. <laughs> Hashtag good riddance. Hashtag Craven. That, that's the slogan for Valyrian Steel now. Mace Hardware, provider of Valyrian Steel. Dr. Adam Baum says, Own to Janice Link for finally admitting his cowardice. What a wimp. Glad he is gone. He's dead. Diane Gardner says, Own goes to Longclaw for that swift, clean, and perfect decapitation. Our listeners are sadistic. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Perfect decapitation. Marlene Montooth tweeted in, My own goes to Tyrion for sending Janos Slint to the wall in a well-deserved date with Jon Snow's sword. They had a wonderful time. (laughs) They sipped spaghetti out of the same bowl. (laughs) Brandon Caton. Great Owen goes to Sir Davos Seaworth. You know your vows? Skip to the end. Uh, stop right there. <laughs> I may not be a learned band, but that was good. Uh, Very good. I see what it's you just there. funny to me, though, too, with Davos, seeing as how he's learning to read from Shireen, and she has so much patience with him, but yet in this one moment with Ollie, you know, he's like, alright, yep, no, actually, yep. Man that, handling the, him. the end part, yep, yep, that's the part. Yep. Speed it up, boy. <laughs> Frank J. Seitz Jr., own goes to Ned, who taught all his boys. The man who passes the sentence swings the sword. He did. Drew Hosp tweeted in, My own goes to the lion and wolf, Aliyup, to Tyrion <laughs> for sending Janos to the wall yes. in season two, and John executing perfectly. Ah, wordplay. And Anthony Runyon, <laughs> cross-seasonal own goes to Jon Snow owning Rob Stark for being able to take someone's head with one swing of the sword. That Rickard Karstark was quite a bit more thick-headed. We'd all agree. <laughs> On Twitter, Courtney MacArthur writes, My own goes to Jon Snow for owning Jon Slint. I've been waiting for this for ages. He was avenging Ned and didn't know it. Andrew Lim, Ooh. my very first own submission, goes to Sir Alistair Thorne. Thank you for your first own. For owning Lord Janos Slint. He thought Thorne had his back. Guess again. No, no. Yeah. On Facebook, Christina Klein, own to John for offing Janos Slint. Not only did Janos give him a good reason in front of everyone, but John also got to partly avenge Ned's death. I hope Sansa will get to do a little dance of joy before her wedding. In the second book, as she watches him schmoozing at court over Ned's death, she thinks to herself that she would love for someone to give her Slint's head someday. What a good big brother. Aww. 
Rosella Stone. So poetic. <laughs> My own goes to Kyburn. Hashtag Franken Mountain. Love it. Ooh, easy, friend. <laughs> the old gods in Manu at my nuclear bomb writes love kyburns it doesn't matter when the high septon doesn't know him also his <laughs> reference to devout prostitutes <laughs> brawn-esque that is brawn-esque nice uh, well you were attending to these devout prostitutes <laughs> lanny anzavino says own to the maiden and the stranger for being chosen <laughs> to receive the high septon's blessing <laughs> very lucky that's what you call it when he does that. Very lucky. Andrew Martin says, Own to the sparrows for making the High Septon take the worst walk of shame ever. That's pretty sure rough. Jennifer Testerman says, My first own goes to Cersei. Quote, The faith and the crown are the two pillars that hold up this world. One collapses, so does the other. We must do everything necessary to protect one another. Haley Jarrett says, Arya owns with a well-placed and surprising sea bomb. I can see it. It's falling. <laughs> there it goes. And Kyle Denny says, Own goes to death, for which we say, Not today. Not today, Kyle Denny. Not Such today. a great throwback to Sirio. K26DP tweeted in. Isn't that R2's cousin? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see R2 tweet into the show. That's our new goal. But, uh... We all have dreams. <laughs> <laughs> no one owned Arya Stark. Take that any way you wish. That was very bold. Louis-Philippe Pilon wrote on Facebook. I, I just, you know, every week it's just, uh, this we all enjoy saying this this person's name. Keep so writing. That's, that's why, it's not for his own, it's for his name. That's why he gets on the show. Eternal ownership to Maisie Williams, mother of a thousand flame emojis, and queen of the acting skills. As soon as she picked up Needle, my friend Sarah, and me dissolved in a puddle of tears and whimpers. Oh, yeah, no. we were two bottles of big Dornish Red Deep, but still, <laughs> that's an amazing mastery of the craft by young Maisie. Bonus owned to Marjorie Terrell for just bitch-slapping <laughs> Cersei verbally like a drunken Shaolin monk. <laughs> Duncan Shallon Monk. <laughs> this is a vivid own. I don't even know if I can go on after that. Uh, <laughs> like a drunken Shallon Monk. I don't think we've ever had a comparison like that before. Oh, Jackie DeGuyen. Owen goes to Tyrion for being the most childlike road trip companion no in Westeros. Hashtag are we there yet? Hashtag are we there yet? Hashtag are we there yet? Yeah. Steve Fortier tweeted in that red priestess, Rila Fukushima is to watch. She was in the Wolverine and is now on Arrow. She will probably come oh, back. Oh, the Wolverine. Not a bad hint. Not a bad hint. Willie Yarbrough tweeted in, my own goes to Tyrion for basically telling the giant brothel bouncer doorman <laughs> to go get stuffed. Brave half-man. Jacob Johnson, own goes to Varys for barely keeping it together. Barely. During Tyrion's romp through Volantis. That's true. Varys was a little too serious for me. I need to lighten up. Varys. Laura Mutton writes, Tyrion getting owned by his cock at the critical moment. Hashtag floppy cock. That's rough. <laughs> that hits close. Will, T- <laughs> <laughs> Will, Den- Will Dennison. The own goes to Tyrion. For sweet-talking a freaking prostitute into a freebie. Hashtag only in fiction. Scott Glennon writes, Own goes to Jorah Mormont for putting a gag ball on Tyrion's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> These owns. I'll never see this emoji again. These owns. This emoticon. God, same, same way. He just grabbed it from one of the rooms in the brothel. And finally, gather your belongings, friends. <laughs> We're exiting the land of owns. 
Now, from Stephanie Nelson, own goes to the whore in Volantis for the Essos version of Assless Chaps. Hashtag Save a Dragon, Ride a Cowboy. Kalishi! Kalishi! <laughs> well played, Stephanie, well played. I feel like a weight is off my shoulders now. Did you guys good. feel that? The owns yeah. for the week, we've shared them. Everyone has written them in. Satchel's empty. The satchel's been empty. <laughs> Readied for episode four. Exactly. Now we can just move toward episode four. It's getting closer. I can feel it. Those were the uh, owns that we received on Facebook and Twitter, but uh, we did get a couple through email as well, three to be exact, uh, that are uh, pretty interesting and uh Miriam wrote into the show, says, Hey guys, I'd really like to add to your discussion on Cersei and High Sparrow. Eric was questioning some things about how Cersei changed her behavior with Marjorie so drastically and how it's connected to her turning to the High Sparrow. It wasn't addressed by anyone, so I felt compelled to write you my first ever email. Thank you, Miriam. Though I've listened to your show forever and I love you all. Well, we love you. Feelings mutual. What is so interesting about this season is that for the first time in the entire show, Cersei has lost her power. She's lost control. Mm-hmm. Tywin is gone. Her son, the king, is illegitimate. She has no allies, nothing protecting her, ensuring her safety or power. That's why she can't afford to tell Marjorie that she will strangle her in her sleep if she calls her sister again, mm-hmm. like she used to. Her position in King's Landing is so uncertain that for the first time she has to swallow and play into Marjorie's game with her passive-aggressive courtesies. She can't afford not to anymore. She's desperate, so desperate that she risks aligning herself with the High Sparrow's extremist cult, not to find God, but to gain back control. Mm -hmm. And this explains why she aligns herself with the High Sparrow sect, not to find God, but to gain her power back. Because of it, she now controls this kind of Gestapo-like force in the city. She's desperate, so desperate that she risks aligning herself with this extremist sect. When you're desperate, you make risky decisions. I think in her eyes, she doesn't see any other way. So it's a change for sure, and a completely new side of Cersei we're getting to see. All the awards to Lena Hetty. She breaks my heart however much I can hate Cersei. And a fucking course to you guys. I can't explain how many days you light up for me with doing this podcast. Thank you uh, so much for everything you do, Miriam. Gladly, Miriam. Gladly. All great points. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She's very great points. Will do anything to to get power back or to retain any power that she has. And I think, you know, this is kind of, you know, this is this is pretty far into the bag of shit that you have but to it's do. It's the pillar or sorry, the faith and the crown, right? Are the two pillars that when one falls, the other topples. Well, she can play the game when she needs to, right? She knows how to turn it on, so we're learning that she about does. Cersei. She can't she can do much more than shut people down. You know, we got a good email here uh to follow up Miriam's excellent email. Thank you for writing in again. Uh, this one comes from Shauna, who says, Hi, Goo. Hi. Hey. Hey, Shauna. My own, uh, for this week, has to go to Ned Stark's children, Jon Snow. Uh, Maybe. Oh, there's a question mark, yeah. Uh, for finishing his drink before cutting off a coward's head. <laughs> there you go. That's funny. Sansa Stark for being able to produce a smile in front of Roose Bolton. Yeah. That's for sure. And to no one who created the most emotional moment of the episode saying a parenthesis temporary and parenthesis goodbye to Needle. Love the podcast, guys. Valardo Harris. Well, that was her serving us an own. I shall read this final email. A man (laughs) will read this final email from Kelsey Heather. It reads, Hey, guys. 
I have been a listener since just before the infamous Hodor week and would like <laughs> to submit my very first own. Go back and listen if you haven't. That was a blast. My own goes to the showrunners and Maisie Williams for illustrating the entire inner monologue of Arya about the importance of Needle in a single shot. I was literally running the lines through my head as she stood there, and it led to an amazing emotional scene. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Kelsey. Yeah, I think we talked a lot about that moment and just the uh, the emotion you felt watching her part with all the things that made her who she was. And then when she got to Needle, she just couldn't do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really wonder when it will be that we see it again, when the next time will be that she's, you know, because I feel like I don't know under what circumstances she'll leave that house, but I feel like it won't be she won't be able to go grab because like essentially if she goes back to Needle too soon, perhaps as soon as she can, it would demonstrate to everyone that she is too attached. I feel like yeah. she's going to have to leave, actually leave it. I know it's like it doesn't feel like she's parting with it because it's just across the street from where she's studying. But I have a feeling that it's it was more of a goodbye than we would think. I'm curious as to how it will affect her training, whether they're able to know something like this. They seem to be very educated in the ways of everything. Do they have windows in that big, big monolithic building? Curious, curious. We'll find out, I suppose, as the episodes move forward as you just heard there are a number of different ways that you can submit owns for the show you can do so on twitter at game of owns or on facebook facebook.com slash game of owns you can scroll upon our wall there and leave your thoughts on each and every episode we do check there regularly we uh post a lot of fun content there as well yeah we and do. we hope that uh, you enjoy and share with your friends that love game of thrones just as much as you do and we do uh, and you can also email us, just as the last uh, three listeners did, contact at gameofowns.com, and uh, we will definitely share them on an upcoming episode. And you know, we always look forward to the Owns. It's it's fun seeing them all pour yeah. in on uh, Sunday evening as the show airs, and people really get into it. Uh, it's It's really exciting for the three of us to see all the creative ideas that – you all come up with and and the creative hashtags that you create uh, it's just uh it's a lot it's it's all about the building the community and enjoying the community and and we we really enjoy it those of us who were with us on the off season or on season as we called it know that we entertained ourselves uh in many different ways uh, not the least of which was a read through of uh, i'd say the first two thirds of storm of swords but even before that we were entertaining ourselves with namely the first tale of Duncan Egg called The Hedge Knight. Which was incredibly fun. I think we, we dove into that just before season four began, and everyone had a great time. I know that we fell in love with the story. Since then, obviously, we've done our, our rewatch, and knowing that Sir Duncan the Tall and Egg may have uh, been mentioned in the show, too. Uh, it's 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 been a year, as Zach said, and it never uh, could be a better time for us to get back into it. We really enjoyed doing this side tale so much that we wanted to incorporate it into our Patreon. And uh, for those of you who know or maybe don't know, uh, we have a Patreon account here at Game of Owns where we post some really cool behind-the-scenes content and chapter readings. And we did it with A Storm of Swords. Actually, just recently posted The Red Wedding not that long ago, that uh, Eric and I 
collaborated on together. We wrote the uh, chapter, so you don't have to... Uh... We had some help from some uh, <laughs> ominous strings as well. And they recorded it together in Chicago, so that was that was extra fun. Yeah, and uh, now we're um, planning on doing the same with uh, The Tales of Dunkin' Egg over on patreon.com slash goo as well. And the first story really in the series, The Hedge Knight, uh, was one that we really enjoyed taking us back over 100 years in Westeros and, and really allowing us to visit with families that we know very well in present day, but get to meet some of the ancestors of, I guess. Uh, yeah, I was going to, I was going to say forebearers, you know, anything yeah. like that. I know ancestors make them seem really old, but yeah, hundred yeah. years is a long time ago. Not that far though. It's uh familiar faces, familiar names, uh, thing, people of mm-hmm. legend. And like Eric said, uh, Duncan the Tall and Aegon got a mention in the series. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it's very familiar. I remember when we dove into it last year, uh, how, how good it made us feel. So I'm very excited to, you know, even though it's in the middle of, of season five, this was, it kind of made, made the most sense because we're not reading through a storm of swords and we have that right. tier on our Patreon page that, um, needs to be filled with content because we can't continue to, to post, uh, those chapter discussions and readings. So it's just, uh, it all kind of made sense. So we've been asked, and this is sort of an answer. So if you're interested, we will have a read-along series with music, inspired meanderings, etc. through the world of Ice and Fire. We're heading back in time, and we're going to begin back in time. with the Hedge Knight. So yes. we're excited. Our Patreon account is a way for us to continue all of our efforts with the show to grow our ideas and aspirations with connecting with fans in the community without injecting advertising before during and after our program because this is uh it complicates things there's rules involved and scripts and etc and this is just the best way to keep it from us to you and to not involve a third party a fourth party a fifth party i would really just echo what zach said because it's important to us that you have a show that is free from any advertising and doesn't get broken up by Today's show is brought to you by, Trying to as much as I enjoy thing. recording stuff like that and using it for my um, own personal... Uh, What's the word? Uh, profile or... Uh, yeah, yeah. Portfolio. Re- resume, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just uh, a way that we can continue the discussion from the moment we press record all the way uh, through pressing the stop button and, and the strings playing. So we do appreciate all of you out there who have supported the show and those of you who plan to do so in the future we can't you know obviously thank you enough it's very cool to continue to do this not from the support of a product being sold but from the people who listen and the people that we create this for so high five to everyone and to the bannermen uh this is just it's also it's kind of fun to make this stuff for patreon i'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah it is it's good stuff we did have a lot of fun doing that out in chicago i know you guys did as well down in orlando so it's just uh just uh fun i mean there's no other way to describe it you know just we're a lot of times goofing around but a lot of uh interesting stuff can come out of that and uh it's also fueling some efforts in the uh clothing sphere i don't want to say too much yet it's like people that it's listeners that are dedicated enough on all of our social channels and obviously obviously if they're uh subscribers to our patreon we post things there that they've read about and know about so there's that so like, i feel like the in crowd of listeners understand what i'm talking about but if you don't uh just uh look up on our instagram a picture of uh eric going to rave of thrones and see what shirt he was wearing 
So there's that little teaser for you. So if you're interested, yep. that's going to be a lot of fun. Also, if you ever wondered what my uh, shower curtain looks like, uh, it's a good shot of that. One other way that you can support the show is by going over to iTunes and leaving us a rate and review. Uh, being that we are in the midst of season five and just even hearing in this episode uh, from a number of listeners who are first time submitters of Owens, they may be the first time listening to the show. It's just really important that uh, you let people know that uh, we exist and uh, you tell them what you think of this podcast. Of course, in the month of May now, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. That's it's right. just the way that it works and don't question it. Otherwise, you may befall the same fate as one Janos Slint. Oh, On to more cheerful things, but we, we just can't tell you the number of times uh, that we've seen you know, people write to us and tell us that uh, you know they heard about us on iTunes or that they they got a recommendation from a friend and and so it's really important. You guys are really the lifeblood of the show and make it what it is. So uh, anytime you can go over there and just leave us your feedback, uh, we would of course love if we were able to go there, the three of us, uh, five times a day and leave reviews. But you 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 help make. Uh, all the difference so we thank you for that as well these are these are incredibly fun times i'm excited i love how we have next week's episode and then it is still isn't even halfway through the season this is going at an all right pace for me yeah enjoy these moments and soak this episode in uh this episode that you're listening to also the upcoming episode and then our subsequent episode following that episode soak all of these in because we're almost to the halfway point and then we all know what that means from there appreciate the current moment everyone just feel it yeah. and, and appreciate it. So do you guys think that uh, Varys kind of saw that guy carrying that smaller guy out the brothel? Eric, that is a great question, but one that can only be answered by watching <laughs> next week's episode. We hate to leave you with such titillating offers of details, of mystery and satisfaction, but we will. Sunday is coming. <laughs>